0: Have a seat, and as you sit, uh, howdy. howdy. My name is Kevin Barra, I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus, and if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 14 this morning, Joshua chapter 14, and lets you know a little bit about myself as you're flipping there. Uh, I've, um, I'm the Southwood College pastor. Uh, I have an amazing wife, Hillary, she's a veterinarian. I've got four incredible kids, an eight-year-old daughter named Peyton, a seven-year-old son named Micah, a five-year-old son named Jesse, and a three-year-old daughter named Juliet, uh, and, uh, two cats and a new puppy. And so our house is beyond full. Uh, so, so that's what we're going to be doing this spring break. Joshua chapter 14, starting in verse six. It says this Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb the son of Je- Je- uh, Jephunah the Kenizzite said to him You know what the Lord said to Moses the man of God in Kadesh-Barnea concerning you and me I was 40 years old when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh-Barnea to spy out the land and I brought him word as again as was in my in my heart But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard... On the day, how the Anakim were there with great fortress, fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord has said. Let me pray for us one more time, Lord. I pray that you would give clarity to your word into our lives. I pray that you would help us to see what you want us to see from this passage, that we could gain insight from the life of Caleb into our own lives. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when Hillary and I got married, uh, we got married uh, actually in December. And uh, that first summer, we decided to go on a trip, a hiking trip to Colorado. Now, as part of our wedding a registry. We had gotten like all sorts of camping equipment. Like we were prepared. We were going to be a camping couple. Like that's what we we're going to do. And so we got backpacks and sleeping bags and all sorts of stuff. And we were we were getting ready to go. And so we loaded up all of our stuff and we start the drive to Colorado. And we were going to go meet with our cousins in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. And so we finally get there. We we show up and uh, my cousin Brock is going to help us pack our packs to go on the journey. And so when we get there, we bring all of our stuff in front of Brock, because he's a seasoned hiker, and he looks at our stuff, and he looks at us and goes, Flatlanders. Like, you're not going to survive this. And he's like pulling out jeans and cotton socks, and he's like, what are you doing? You know, like... Cotton will make you freeze to death in the wild. You can't survive in that. So he like gives us new pants and new shoes and new socks and and repacks our bags, gives us better food for the journey and just completely sets us up. And then he gives us this suggestion. How about you go on day hikes? (laughs) And I heard that and I said, Brock, this is my chance to show my new bride how much of a man I really am. Like, we're going, baby. And so, and so we get our packs. We go to sleep. The next morning, we get up early. We go to the trailhead. And we get there. We get out. And we start the journey. Our plan is about three nights in the wilderness. Nothing too crazy. Just three nights in the wilderness together. It's going to be beautiful. And we start the journey in. And at the start, we're excited. You know, we got all this energy, new packs, ready to go, the first breaking in everything. And we start going on the journey and I'm like, babe, go pose on that rock. We'll get a shot of you right there. You know, get a picture of me like I'm in the wilderness, you know, it's like all that stuff. And so we're all excited at the beginning of the journey. And as we go further and further along this trip, uh, we realize that the, the trails are getting steeper and steeper on these switchbacks. And the 50-pound the pack started a lot lighter, and it's getting a lot heavier as we're going further into the wilderness. And we get to one point, um, and what I didn't realize was this. Um, in Texas in May, it's a nice temperature. In Colorado in May, it still snows. <laughs> and so as we're getting further and further up in altitude, probably about nine or 10,000 feet, it starts snowing on us. And as we're walking further, I feel like we get a little bit off track and I pull out the topographical map to figure out where we're going. And I look at the map and our plan was to go like over this pass, over this waterfall and camp down on this valley on the first night. And I look at the map and I look ahead of me and there's like a sheer cliff. And I'm looking at the map and I go, babe, so I think here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna rock climb up this cliff hike over this waterfall, and then go camp over there. And I look back at my new bride, covered in snow. I'm like, you want to you do this? And she's like, no. <laughs> I'm like, do you want to go back? And she's like, yes. And so we're about five miles in, and we start the long-defeated journey back. And on the way... Uh, She slipped on a rock and fell onto her back, hitting her head on the pack, you know, reverberating around, and she was stuck, to which I laughed. (laughs) Not recommending, I'm just explaining what I did. And she's like, don't laugh at me, help me up. And, 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 and that, that pretty much epitomized the journey, right? Like, like we just left defeated. By the time we got home, back to my aunt and uncle's place, we walk in there, it's late at night, and they go, didn't quite work out, huh? And I'm like, we need a warm bed and a warm shower. That's what we need. And the reason I tell you that is for this simple reason. Sometimes it can be exciting at the start, but as you get further along in the journey, as you get deeper into the wilderness, when you get deeper into the realities of whatever is in front of you, you can realize how difficult this was. What started energetic and fun and exciting when, when the pressures or the challenges or the obstacles of the event really came in front of you, it can be very easy to turn and walk away. Angela Duckworth wrote a book um, a couple years ago called Grit. She's a psychologist from the University of Pennsylvania, not a Christian, but she writes this What people need is passion and perseverance, and she calls it grit the ability to withstand challenges and overcome obstacles. And what she, she did is she tested all these different people on their levels of grit, like hundreds and thousands of people. And as she was testing all these different people, what she discovered was that older people on her grit meter had higher levels of grit. And the younger you were, had, you had lesser levels of grit, the ability to persevere over challenging circumstances. And it was an interesting find, and she wasn't sure whether it was just generationally related, or, and so as you, as maybe the, the greatest generation had more grit, or maybe it was something you learn over time. But regardless of why we, people have, see it, we all need it. And the Bible actually describes this same quality that we need. We need what the Bible calls perseverance. And here's the truth. In life, you are going to encounter circumstances when you say these types of statements. One, this is harder than I thought. Two, this is not what I expected. Three, this isn't where I thought this was going. In school, it's gonna be that major that you pick. Some of you are high school. You're gonna be going into college. And right now, you think you're pretty smart. And then you're going to get to A&M. This is your opportunity, people. You're going to get to A&M. Okay, thank you, thank you. And you're going to get there, and you're going to realize there are a lot of smart people from a lot of other places that, and you realize once you're sitting in those engineering classes, they're teaching us a different math than I, than I grew up with. Or it's going to be at work. You're going to get that first job, or maybe that new job, and you're going to step into that moment thinking you're qualified, thinking you have the skills, but realize once you're in the game, once you actually have the title and the moment, that sustaining success in that place is much more difficult than you think. You're going to encounter in dating, when you realize that this person who you thought you you loved and shared all things with. I mean, at the start of the relationship, it was amazing. You agreed on everything. Like, you want to go to the same movies. Like, she would say, hey, do you want to go to this movie? And you're like, no, but sure. And, and, and it's gonna, you're going to be together and, and you're going to pick the same restaurants and everything is just inspiring as you start this romance and this relationship. And, and then week two is going to hit, you know? And you're going to realize that it was not as easy as you thought. And I'll tell you what, even in the Christian life, you are going to encounter challenges and difficulties. You're going to face hits from coworkers or people in your classes or or family members that are going to make you want to stop obeying Jesus and walking with him and take the easy track. And it's in those moments of life... That we need what Angela Duckworth calls grit, what the Bible calls perseverance. Romans 5.3 says it this way. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. We are excited about the challenges, the obstacles, the difficulties, the, the sufferings ahead of us. Why? Why? Not because the sufferings are fun. Because the sufferings actually produce something in us that we need. And the Bible calls it perseverance. 2 Thessalonians says it this way. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions you are enduring. Hebrews 12, 1, one of my favorite passages, says it this way. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race set out for us. What the Bible says we need is perseverance, the ability to sustain faithfulness even in challenging circumstances. And I want to give you one biblical character. One biblical character that really models this quality that the Bible calls perseverance. One character that modeled this well in his life, and his name is Caleb. Now you may be familiar with Caleb, but you're probably more familiar with the character named Joshua. So let me set up who Caleb was. Caleb was one of the few faithful men in the nation of Israel at the time that they escaped from Egypt. So you're familiar with the story that the people were enslaved in Egypt. They were under Egyptian oppression. And Moses comes in in and rescues those people out of slavery and leads them through the wilderness into the promised land. And in Numbers chapter 14, they're literally on the precipice of entering into the promised land. They have gone through, they've seen amazing miracles of God. And so Moses picks 12 men to go into the promised land to spy it out to see what the land is like, and to bring back word to the people to inspire them and get them ready to go conquer this new territory. And as that word comes back, it's not a rosy report. In fact, 10 come back with a bad report and only two come back with a good report. The two that come back with a good report are Joshua and Caleb. Caleb actually is the spokesman of them but the other 10 come back with a negative report and, and from that moment the people no longer can go into the land. And God sends them on a journey and for 40 years to wait for this generation to die and for the next generation to go in. But Caleb was one of the few faithful. And you know Joshua chapter 14 rolls around where we're reading today is 45 years in the future from that moment in Numbers chapter 14. And what can happen during those 45 years are three barriers that Caleb faced and overcame. In that period when you are not getting what you thought you wanted, there's many things that can stop you from a faithful life, from a persevering life. And there were three barriers I want to show you from Caleb's life that he needed to overcome. And the first barrier is this, unmet expectations. Joshua chapter 14 Verse 7 says it this way. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word again as was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. The first barrier that we will face in life is this, unmet expectations. When things don't go the way that we expect. Now Moses was 40 years old. He was in the prime of life. He was ready to attack and do something great for God. And as he's ready to go on this new journey, lead the people in a new direction, his future was brought off course by nothing that he did, everything that some people did around him. You see that? You see, he he brought back a good report. He was doing the right thing, but it was people around him that stopped him from having the future that he most wanted. He hit unmet expectations. He hit the barrier of unmet expectations. I'll tell you this. Every endeavor you begin, you will encounter unmet expectations. And the distance between where you hope to be and where you currently are, that distance, that gap, is your expectations. And one barrier you'll face in life is when you don't meet that. So I, I know for some of you, when, when you started coming to A&M, you had a degree in mind that you were going to be in. You thought you were going to be an engineer. You thought that was your future. Your dad was an engineer. Your granddad was an engineer. Your mama was an engineer. Her, your aunts and uncles were engineers. And you all thought you were going to have this future, and you were lined up behind it. And then you got into those first engineering classes, and you realized, the Lord does not have engineering in my future. Or there was that internship you wanted. You thought, like, all these other people are getting these internships. All these other people are getting this future. and, And you thought, this is my future. I'm going to get that internship. It's going to be amazing. And then my future is going to be what I want. And then when you don't get the call, when you get lots of no's in front of you, you ask yourself, can I actually endure this? For others of you, you're going to get married. It's going to be wonderful. Some of you are married. And then you get into the first year of marriage. And you, you had this moment in the wedding, you know, like she was wearing white, you looked sharp, the best you've ever looked, right, you know, you look back at those pictures you're like, oh man, Lord, I, yes, and she looked amazing, and you're like, this is what it's going to be for the next 50 years, right, like this glorious moment, and then you get to the first year of marriage and you realize how difficult sustaining a marriage actually is. You realize how difficult it is when you put two centers together. What you don't have is harmony and peace. What you have is some struggle. See, I think the reality is this. All of us have expectations for how life is going to go. And when we encounter reality, reality rarely matches those expectations. And that distance can get very, very big. The first barrier we all face is this unmet expectations. Every year in ministry, I have expectations for how things are going to go. How people are going to be reached, how people are going to be saved, what people are going to do in response to to the preaching and the small groups. I have all of these expectations of where I think God is going to lead it. And I'll tell you what, not one of them has ever been met. And that's just reality. The first barrier we all face will be unmet expectations. But the second barrier is this, waiting. Waiting. It says it this way in Joshua chapter 14, verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. Joshua was ready at 40. God was not And so he waited 45 more years before he got what he thought God had for him. Here's the problem when you're dealing with an eternal God. He's not living by our timeline, right? Like we think in terms of days and weeks and months and years. God thinks in terms of decades and centuries, right? For God, it's like like a thousand years or like a single day. See, when when we're thinking about our future and what's coming up next, we oftentimes think in small incremental moments of days and weeks and months and years. And God says, yeah, yeah, I, I don't operate by those timelines. I think in terms of much longer than you think about. And when we're dealing with God, we're dealing with an eternal God, with an eternal perspective. And what that means is that we end up spending a lot of time waiting. For Caleb... It meant 45 years of waiting for what God was having for him next. For you, it means this. God's timing is probably much slower than you want. Your future, for those of you, anyone uh, going, (laughs) high school seniors, this will be a moment for you. uh, Do you know what college you're going to next? Raise your hand if you know what college you're going to next. Okay, that's great. Raise your hand if you know what major you're going to have. Oh, well done. Weird. Well, this applies to one of you over there. (laughs) Those of you that are looking for jobs in that early season or early career moments, you think you know what your future is. And you think that once I walk through these steps, my future will be known. And when you're going to college, you so think that that future will certainly be played out. And then you become very impatient the longer you go in those moments. In your first career, I remember my first career in ministry, doing junior high ministry. I thought I knew what the future had for me. I thought I knew where I would be. And I became very impatient in my first job. Can I get a witness? Anyone else impatient in their first job? And what we see is that my future is not in my hands. It's not only firstly your future. Secondly, your time in singleness may be much longer than you think. Can I get an amen? Amen. Mm -hmm. Especially if you've got young kids, you're like, yeah, it's a really long time. Your time in singleness may be much longer than you expect. Your time waiting to have a child may be much longer than you expect if you're married. Your time waiting for the future that you want may be much longer than you expect. Let me tell you this. God is doing something in that period of waiting. He is forming something into your heart and character that can't be formed quickly. It takes a lot of time. That period of waiting. For Caleb, it was 45 years. And the third barrier he faced was this, being overlooked. Read with me in Numbers chapter 27. It says it this way. Now Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. Now here's what's happening in this point in the story. Moses is about to die. And he needs to appoint a new leader to lead the people. This is some 40 years later to lead the people into the promised land. And so he's got to select someone. And he's got to select some person to lead the people to the new place. Verse 17, who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and shall bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So he's saying, the people need a new leader. We need to appoint a new leader. Moses couldn't go into the promised land. He needed someone else to lead them at this point. Verse 18, so the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun." A man in whom the spirit is the spirit and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation. You shall commission him in their sight. The the third barrier that Caleb faces this being overlooked. See, when I read that passage, some of you read it and go, oh, Joshua was selected as the leader. That sounds great. When I read it, I go, wait a minute. What about Caleb? See, there was two men that came back with a positive report, Joshua and Caleb. Caleb seems to me, in just an overarching reading, to be equally qualified to lead the people. But for whatever reason, in God's sovereign selection, he chose Joshua and not Caleb. Have you ever felt overlooked? Have you ever felt like you were working hard in your job, but, but the promotion, the nod to the next opportunity went to someone else? Have you ever felt like you were doing the right thing, you are being faithful to God, but but someone else seemed to always be getting the opportunity? If you're younger, if you're in junior high and high school, have you always felt like, I feel like I'm ready for that spot on the team, but, but someone else gets the nod, someone else gets the starting position and not you. You feel like, why is it that I keep on getting overlooked in my life? That's Caleb. I'll tell you this, every success story, is preceded by a row of missed opportunities and maybe even perceived failures. Every success story has a line of missed moments before it. There's a lot of failures, a lot of misses along the way. But I'll tell you what, it's when walking through those misses, it's been walking through those missed opportunities, it's walking through those challenges that it becomes a moment when we become not willing to persevere we would look at those challenges and say, I don't know if it's worth it. But let me give you some words from J. Oswald Sanders. He has a, a beautiful way of describing that season of life. And it's called the middle mile. He says this, the hardest part of the journey is the middle mile. One writer says, one writer. There's enthusiasm of the new undertaking, which buoys at the start. The thrill of reaching the goal at the finish. But it is the middle mile when you are a long way from the start. And home is still a distance that tests the mettle of the runner. When we're in that season of the middle mile, when we're trying to persevere, there's a new perspective that every one of us needs, and I think Caleb has. And so there's three perspectives I want to give you that I'm calling a persevering perspective that Caleb had in this season of life called the middle mile. And the first thing we see in Joshua chapter 14, verse 9, is this, that Joshua had a God-sized vision that right-sized his problems. Read with me in verse 9. It says it this way. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and for your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. See, Caleb was holding on to the word of God when everyone else around him, those ten, were doubting. He was believing God and his promises even in a challenging circumstance. And let me tell you this. You need a God-sized vision of the future to right-size your struggles in the moment. You need to know what God is doing in the world to understand what you need to be doing right now in this moment. And so what is the God-sized vision? What is the God-sized vision that he has for you? Well, God's doing one thing in the world. He's helping everyone to find and follow Jesus Christ. It's Matthew 28. Going to all the world baptizing all people. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded for you. It is, it is the great commission, but it's also the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, that is the thing God is weaving in the world. And here's the great part about that big God-sized mission, that big God-sized vision, is that it's portable. That God-sized mission can be yours in whatever field you're in. So as an engineer, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a dad, a spouse, that God-sized vision of the world can be worked out in every area of life. And Caleb knew, okay, if God is leading us to this place, I'm going to follow him and trust him. And as God is working your future out and you're waiting for clarity you can be certain that you can be faithful in bringing the gospel to everyone. You can be a part of that God-sized mission. And let me tell you what, it right-sizes your problems, but also it gives you ability to sustain over the setbacks. One of the hardest things for me to teach my kids is this, that no now doesn't mean no forever. So my kids come to me and they ask a simple question. Daddy, can we watch a show? And I'm a good daddy. And so I tell them, no, children. I'm a little nicer about it. It's like, no, you can't. And they respond uh, like perfect angels. They're just like, Father, we see the wisdom that you have brought us. You have such clarity and guidance. Look at you. The wisdom on your head shows. And and you're leading us well. Negative. What do they do? No! Ah, What are you doing, Father? You're crushing me. And I'm like, just calm down. No now doesn't mean no forever. It just means no right now. You've got to have a God-sized perspective on your life. No now doesn't mean forever. For some of you, in trying to find the one, you're like, okay, if if I don't date this guy, like, he's the one. There's no other men in Bryan College Station. (laughs) Certainly no other, other Aggie men, and why would I venture beyond that, you know, like, and when that's a no, it's like, you're crushed. Or you're destroyed. But, but God's like, look, there's more people in the world. For some of you, it's at work. It's about that promotion. It's that one opportunity. And you're like, I want that. And you, you can like sink your teeth into that. Like Once I get that, then everything makes sense. And it goes to someone else. And God says, look, you can be faithful where you are. It's a false belief to see that that is the only future God has for you. For some of you, it's like buying that house. I have friends that moved to College Station and, and the housing market, like the houses like turn over every like, 10 minutes like a couple years ago. They're like, I put a down payment. i will go to the house. I went to someone else. Like, and, and it was this frustrating moment of they couldn't find where to live and they're like, God, there's no homes in all of Bryan College Station. I was like, calm down. God has a future for you that you would be patient in the moment, have a God-sized perspective on your life. I'm a naturally ambitious person. When when I first came to College Station, Brian Fisher said, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want your job. I was 24 years old. What did I know? And I had an ambition of what I wanted to do in life, but God has said over and over again, you need to have a God-sized vision and be patient with what I'm doing. And so the first thing we need is a God-sized vision. The second piece we need is this, a persevering patience Joshua 14:10 says it this way Caleb okay, says now behold the Lord has kept me alive just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness and now behold I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me out. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going out. He says, I have not let the time make me bitter. I have used these 45 years to grow stronger. I have not let these decades pass and become bitter and angry at God. I have let these 45 years hone my vision for God and his purposes and his future. And I am ready when God says go. He used this time to grow in his faithfulness. Oswald Sanders, in his uh, devotional, My Utmost First Highest, says it this way. It's beautiful. He says, perseverance means more than endurance, more than simply holding on until the end. A saint's life is in the hands of God like a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. God is aiming at something the saint cannot see. But our Lord continues to stretch and strain. And every once in a while, the saint says, I can't take anymore. Yet God pays no attention. He goes on stretching until his purpose is in sight. And then he lets the arrow fly entrust yourself to God's hands. He says, in that period of waiting, what we need is a persevering perspective. We need faithfulness to work through the challenge of the moment, even when it feels overwhelming. When I was in high school, I ran track. And our track coach was kind of a gruff guy. Uh, he was coaching mainly the shot putters and, and discus throwers. He was a football coach. Uh, and, and he would give us these workouts that were Horrible. They're like 12 or 16 400s. And so you would run a 400, rest a little bit, run another 400. And he broke them into groups of four, you know, just trying to destroy us as humans. And um, and so he would we would start the workout. And then he would be over with the shot putters and discus guys. And then he would yell this just across the field. Work the third! And I'm like, what does that mean? I was a, I was a freshman in high school. And I remember after finishing one rep, I'm like, why does Coach yell that? What does that mean? He goes... He goes here's the deal in the mile there's four laps the first lap everyone feels good on you know that's like the little kids like I'm gonna win the Olympics he's running like way too fast you know he goes out fast like everyone feels good in the first lap second lap is reality check that's when things kind of settle back in everyone kind of catches up and everyone kind of knows where are. So it's a reality check where, where the grouping starts to, to set and lap three is a gut check that's the lap that hurts the most. That's when you want to cry and go home. That's how we feel right now, Kevin. <sighs> this, is, this is a gut check. And if you push through this moment, then you actually have the strength because the final lap will take care of itself. It's like where you are in the moment is when you need to work the third, push hard through this moment of perseverance. Now, let me tell you this. In this season of the grind, of this season that requires grit, what we need is sustaining grace to persevere even in a challenging circumstance. You need persevering patience through those challenges. And number three, what we need is personal acceptance. Caleb says it this way in Joshua chapter 14 verse 12. He says, so now, give me this hill country of which the lord spoke on that day for you heard that that day that the anakim were there with great fortified cities it may be that the lord will be with me and i shall drive them out just as the lord said then joshua blessed him and said give him give hebron to caleb the son of jephua for an inheritance i love caleb's perspective in this last moment because he says this I've been persevering, I've been walking through, and I'm going to attack that mountain. Let me tell you this. God has mountains for you to fight for and fight on. God has opportunities in front of you. And let me tell you about those opportunities. Those opportunities are for you and for no one else. So Joshua had an opportunity. He was going to lead the people into this promised land. Caleb didn't have that opportunity. But he didn't get bitter and angry that he did, angry that he didn't have K, uh, Joshua's opportunity. He said, God has given me this mountain to attack. And he says, the Anakim are there. Some 45 years earlier, these were the same people that terrified the nation. And at this moment, 45 years later, he says, they terrified them, they've got fortified cities, fine, that's where I'm going. I'm going to attack that mountain, that's what God has for me. And let me tell you what, in your life, you have God-ordained opportunities to attack and to fight for, but they're yours and no one else. And the worst thing you can do in life is to be angry at God that he didn't give you someone else's mountain. That he didn't give you that job opportunity, that person to marry, that thing over there. That we could be bitter and angry that God didn't give us that one when God has given us these. He's given you these kids to raise. And let me tell you, they are a big mountain. He's given you this spouse to love. And that is a big mountain of a man, right? So, whatever. He's given you these, this family, this extended family to care for. He's given you this job. He's given you this small group to love. He's given you these opportunities. He hasn't given you every opportunity, but he's given you these mountains. And I love Caleb's perspective because when he comes back to that moment, he looks at that mountain with eyes of faith and hope and passion and perseverance. Why? Because he had a personal acceptance. This is who God has made me to be. This is the opportunity he's laid in front of me. And I'm gonna run after it. Ephesians 2.8.9 says this, For grace we have been saved through faith, that not of ourselves, so that no one can boast. But we have been made God's workmanship. And I love that word in Ephesians, workmanship, because it's the Greek word poema. It's like where we get our word poem. It's like a story. It's like a song. God has made you in a certain way, to accomplish certain things that no one else can do. He's uniquely wired you, and He's called you to work out His pieces in the world. He's prepared works that you would walk in for your future, no one else's. I remember when I was in junior high, all my friends were going out for football, right? And at the time, I was about five foot three, under 100 pounds. And I asked my dad, I'm like, Dad, uh, did you go out for football? He's like, Yeah, I went out in junior high. I'm like, How'd it go? He's like, I broke my arm. I'm like, Okay, I'm not gonna go out for football. Like, <laughs> like I will do skinny people things. Like, that will be where I thrive, right? I remember when I came to college, I, I wanted to be smart in the areas of engineering, right? Like, I wanted to be good and, and know what I was going to do in that future, and, and, and I wanted to be good in business. I, like, I was like, math and science are, are where I feel like I, I want to, to land. And, and as I got into those classes, when I got into college, those doors closed. And that's why I'm so thankful for people like you that know math and where numbers and letters fit together because it makes no sense to me. I remember after I got married, um, all the cool Christian guys played the guitar. And so I was like, I'm going to pick this up, right? And so, and so we were married at the time. So I go try to learn the guitar and, and I start kind of learning basic chords. I got no rhythm, but I'm kind of learning basic chords. And then uh, my wife asked me this gentle question. Um, you're not planning on singing, are you? And, <laughs> and I was like, I will take that as a word from the Lord. And I put the guitar <laughs> down, right? And I remember all these moments in life, I was trying to figure out what, what, what am I wired to do? What am I good at? What has God called me to do? I remember when I was a freshman in college, um, I was involved in a college ministry, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there kind of weighing through all these things. God, what am I going to do in my life? What do, you, what do you have in front of me? And, and I remember sitting in one of those services, the college service, and singing rows, and as I'm sitting there praying, the guy's preaching, and this doesn't happen often in my life, but I just had this kind of leaning to say, God's saying, you're going to do that. And I was like... Whatever. And, and I, I kind of brushed it off and kind of went on with college. And I know at the tail end of college, my fifth year of college, I, <laughs> victory lap, baby. <laughs> I came to the, co- the director of college ministry and I said, hey, I think God's leading me into ministry. Like, can you help me figure out if this is where God, what God has for me? And he says, okay, I'll, I'll disciple you. For the next two years, he discipled me. And about 15 years after I had that thought in the year 2000, 16 years later, now I'm a college pastor at Grace Bible Church. I don't know God's timing for his future for you. But it's probably going to be longer than you want. It's probably going to be in a way that you do not expect. But if we have a persevering perspective, that we have a God-sized vision for our life, that hey, God is leading the world in a great direction, if we have a persevering patience in the present, and if we have a personal acceptance, hey, this is who God has made me to be, no one else, and I will do the best I can with who I am, let me tell you what, you can persevere through the middle miles, through the grinds of life. Instead said of Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? I went on the cross. It was the mission of God in the world of bringing people to Him. And so the start of this journey is simply this: One, that you would come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you don't know Jesus, you need to know him today. Your second step is, is to come to this community. Let us help you find your direction in life. Giving a next step, becoming a member is one of those steps. Getting in a small group, a grace group is one of those steps. Let us help you focus your life under Him, and it becomes about knowing God and making Him known. Let me pray for us, Lord. Thank you so much for this morning, and I thank you that you have you have overcome the obstacles we face that we might know you and live a life honoring to you. And Lord, I know there's many of us here that that are in the middle of a grind of life. There are struggles that we are facing. There are barriers that are in front of us. There are reasons that we're not sure that we want to pursue in faithfulness. But I pray that we could get a perspective like Caleb had of your work in the world and we would trust you with our lives and futures, and persevere in the present. We love you. I lift up each person to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. We have an opportunity to to respond in song.